This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. And I have to say, you know, before we go any further, we're allowed to lose a damn game once in a while where the other team plays better than us. So how about you write that somewhere? South Carolina played way better than Connecticut. That's allowed to happen once in a while. And it's not like, what did you guys do wrong? This year, we're like every other team in the country. God forbid. Horror of horrors. That, ladies and gentlemen, was the voice of Gino Ariema, the head coach of the UConn Huskies, on Monday night after they took a loss to the South Carolina Gamecocks, the number one team in the nation. Welcome in to your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined, as always, by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And the story of Monday night was not that UConn lost. It wasn't even that South Carolina won, because as you know, I've been on the South Carolina train for a minute. They've been number one in my AP poll for a while. So we knew the Gamecocks were probably going to dominate that game. However, oh yeah, and they did it behind Ty Harris, who played 40 minutes, had 19 points, 11 assists, and should be on everyone's National Player of the Year radar. But the story was more about looking at that environment at South Carolina. 18,000 fans. 18,000 fans in Colonial Life Arena. The environment was incredible. You could feel it coming through your television. And I referenced this on my Twitter, but when Dawn Staley got to South Carolina, no one saw this happening. No one saw her being successful. Well, some of us did, but everybody was like, oh, she can't do it there. You know, but she goes on and wins a national championship. Well, how are they going to get fans? Well, they got 18,000 in there last night. And I said this, and I just want to reference this quickly, and then we'll move on from this story because we've got so much to cover. But Dawn invested in the marketing of her own team. She put her own staff, her own resources out of pocket into building that program. She got in the community. She shook hands. Like, the NCAA needs to do a study of how she has built that thing. Because, Tariqa, I don't know about you, but it was beautiful. It was amazing. I tweeted about it as well. I took a screenshot from my computer to to post that with the with the line, people say that no one watches women basketball. Yeah, right. Like, you can't even say that. 18,000. 18,000. So, it was beautiful and just a, a testament to what can happen um, when the investment is made and obviously the athletics department as well. Um, but shout out to the Gamecocks that just had an, an awesome display of their team, but also the environment on Monday night. We have so much to cover on this podcast. My goodness. Uh, it has been a crazy week, but we've had so much fun. Free agency, WNBA free agency. Yes, we're going to talk about it on this show. It is nuts. You need to stick with us to find out where your favorite player is now because she may not be playing for your team anymore. Angel McCautry is on the move. Christy Tolliver's on the move. DeWanna Bonner is on the move. DB. We still don't know where Skylar Diggins-Smith is going to be, but all these players are on the move. Uh, we have Rachel Galligan who will join the show. They call her Rach Bomb because she's been dropping some Woj-type bombs on WNBA Free Agency um, she will join our show to talk a little bit more about what we've learned but what we still don't know. Also on the show, as we told you last week, we will continue to um, honor the life of Kobe Bryant. And we have Katie Lou Samuelson on who will talk a lot about her relationship with Kobe 
and um, as we continue to remember his life, but also the impact that he was having on women's basketball, um, along with the other tragic lives, the other eight passengers lost in that horrific accident. Um, we're still sending our, our thoughts and prayers to everyone as it just it still seems so surreal, but we're grateful to Katie Lou Samuelson for get, for joining us on the show. Um, also, Adia Barnes, if you have not heard about the Arizona Wildcats, you need to get on board. They are the number 12 team in the country in a very competitive Pac-12. They just won at Oregon State, which is a huge win. Adia, for you guys that were WNBA folks, won a championship with the Seattle Storm, was a broadcaster there. She actually went to Arizona. That's her alma mater. So already had the connection there. She coached on the Final Four staff for the Washington Huskies when Kelsey Plum was there. You're going to want to definitely hear Adia's story as uh, they're on the rise. So a lot going on. But before we move on, a couple of quick things. Number one. Congratulations as the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame has announced their 2020 class and a lot of names that you would know, people that have been instrumental to the growth of women's basketball. Um, Lauren Jackson, number one, three-time WNBA MVP. Tamika Catchings, MVP and WNBA champ. Swin Cash, who um, is a multi WNBA championship winner, both two with Detroit and also in Seattle. Um, and let's not forget these women and what they've done on the Olympic level as well. Swin, um, as of note, for example, is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. Um, Tamika Catchings is a four-time Olympic gold medalist. And also a couple of names you may know, Carol Callen, Women's National Team Director. For USA Basketball since 1996. Sue Donahoe was the vice president of NCAA Division I Women's Basketball. Um, you will definitely know that name. Another one that I'm excited to learn a little bit more about, Debbie Brock is a name that in, in all my women's basketball dealings, I don't know as much about. But she was a three-time national championship winner at Delta State in the 1970s in the Association of Intercollegiate Athletics for Women, the AIAW era. Look it up. And last but not least, Carol Stiff, our very own Carol Stiff, ESPN's Vice President for Programming and Acquisitions, with an emphasis on NCAA women's basketball, the WNBA, and other women's sports. She helped to launch the Jimmy V Week and KYAL Cancer Funds. But if you know Carol Stiff, you know that she works tirelessly, tirelessly on behalf of women's basketball behind the scenes. In fact, hang on to the fourth quarter. And Tarika and I have some very big news for you, which we are 100% sure that Carol Stiff was behind. But we want to send our thanks to Carol Stiff for everything she does. I would not be a broadcaster if it wasn't for Carol. She was the first person at ESPN, along with Tina Thornton, to take my hand and put me in the position that I'm in. So we are grateful to Carol. Tarika, I know you also have a relationship with her. Just a, a great honor and well-deserved. Absolutely. No one more deserving to be in this position than Carol Stiff. And so we definitely send our love and congrats to you from around the rim and all of our fans. Okay, so let's get the show started. But before we get going, just wanted to remind you to subscribe, rate, and review Around the Rim podcast wherever you are listening to it. It really helps us and helps others to find our show. And tell a friend about Around the Rim. 
you like women's hoops, so I'm positive you have some friends that will also enjoy our podcast. Tell them about it. And also, check out the South Beach Sessions with Levitard and Friends. This week, Dan and Sarah Spain sit down with Seattle Storm's Brianna Stewart upon her return to the basketball court. And if you love Around the Rim, I know you love Stewie. You can get South Beach Sessions wherever you're listening to this podcast. And with that, let's start the show. First quarter. And uh, But the hardest thing is to face that stuff. That's a really, really tough challenge. You mean face it? You mean look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, this is how I showed up or this is what happened? And- I'll give you an example. So uh, Katie Lou Samuelson is one of the best college basketball players in the country. She plays at UConn. She's going to be a senior. Right now? Right now. She's from Huntington Beach out here by us. And so she comes down and she works with some of my, my, my girls on the team and she helps coach. And they just had a really tough season last year where they lost to Notre Dame in the final. That's right. Really tough. First loss in like First loss. years, right? Yeah. And so I asked her, I said, have you watched the Notre Dame game? She was like, no. I said, well, why not? I said, I don't want to watch that. I said, I know you don't, but you're going to play Notre Dame this year, yeah? Yeah. What's the chances you see him again in the final? I said, well, you probably see him again. I said, well, you can't show up and play them without knowing why you lost that one, right? So, you know, it, it, the mistakes that you've made in that game, you have to do the hard stuff and watch that game and study that game to not make those mistakes over and over again just because you weren't brave enough to face it. So she came down to the office. I brought her down to the office and we sat down and we watched that game together, right? And you got you to gotta deal with face it. Face it. Got to deal with it. Face it, learn from it. Wow, it must have been cringing for her to just be like, oh, we're yeah. playing like we could have won all well, these things. That's exactly it, isn't if it? If I just it's, did that one thing, exactly if right. I didn't get that foul, if I was scoring exactly that layup. Right. That's exactly right. You look at it and say, oh, there's the mismatch. Oh, there's the gap, uh, you know, and all those little things, and it sucks. But, but you don't want to have that feeling again, do you? So the voices you just heard on that clip were that of, of course, Kobe Bryant, and then Lewis Howe, um, who has an amazing podcast that I listen to often, and that was Kobe sharing uh, some memories of um, a time that he had with Katie Lou Samuelson um, after she had lost to Notre Dame. So it wasn't a pleasant time, but he was teaching her the value of going back to watch your losses. That will make you better next time around. And we're grateful right now to be joined by Katie Lou Samuelson, who is going to share with us a little bit about her relationship with Kobe. Hey, Katie Lou, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? We're doing all right. Uh, We know that this has been a difficult time for everyone, but uh, even more so for someone like you who knew Kobe Bryant and knew Gigi and had relationships um, that, in listening to that clip, sounded like were very impactful. Take us back to your first interaction with Kobe and and how you got to know him. Um, Yes, My first interaction was actually after my sophomore year of college. Um, he was at a Sparks game, and um, I was there there watching the game uh, with, with my sisters. And, you know, he um, actually saw us in the crowd and told us to come down. And um, we ended up spending most of halftime with him and just talking to him and Gigi. And that's when we first met and first kind of, you know, connected and um, talked about, you know, Gigi wanting to go to UConn and stuff like that. So we all just chatted the whole time. And then after that, you know, we had stayed in touch and, um, you know, seen each other a few times. And then throughout that junior year, um, he came to a few games 
into a UCLA game and we saw him there again. But, you know, like you said, and like um, everyone heard after that Notre Dame loss under my junior year, he, I was just hanging out with him and, and we were talking about the game and, and he was really like, so have you watched it? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want to watch that. I don't ever want to look at it again. And he was like, nah, we're not doing that. You're watching it. We're, I'm taking you. We're sitting down and going over it. And, um, you know, he brought me to his office. We spent probably three to four hours watching that game and going through every detail of the whole entire thing, whether it was a timeout, trying to, he's trying to see what people are saying in the timeout, trying to see what is going on, what's going to be the next play, what's going on the opposite side of the court. So it was pretty incredible to just see his, you know, his whole mind go to work and just explain to me and just see that in person. It was, it was amazing. Wow. To have that one-on-one time with him, I'm sure was very special. What was there one thing maybe that um, a lesson or something that maybe he talked to you about during that time or any time um, that you guys had together that stands out to you? Yeah. I mean, for me, listening to him and hearing how much, you know, he put into the game off the court. Um, was like him going through film, knowing what he wanted to know what his opponent was going to do before they even did it on the court. And stuff like that was, you know, as a player, you're like, oh, let me get out there and be prepared, let me be ready to go. But his preparation was so far ahead of everyone that, you know, he didn't put him on himself, himself in a position to mess up. He was always ready and always, you know, prepared for what was going to happen. So for me, I think that was the biggest thing that I saw just off of our conversation. And, you know, clearly everyone knows he has, he had the greatest attitude, the greatest, you know, SU mentality at all times. And that took him even farther. But also adding on top of that, it was just, he was unstoppable. I'm curious. I saw a picture on your Instagram. So I know um, that you met the young Mambas um, from his academy. Did you have interactions with Peyton Chester um, or Alyssa Altabelli? Do you have any memories or have any time with them? Yeah, actually, I did. Um, so he, they work out. Um, clearly, they, they talk to sometimes at Vanguard University, but also at a high school that's about 15 minutes from my house. So, um, you know, I went to a few practices, and he actually let me run a practice for the girls. I could do what, what I want to show them, like my UConn drills, show them everything that we do in college and just wanted them to have like a taste of just what it could be like. And so that was, you know, that was before they were out here killing teams and doing all this. It was kind of towards the beginning of, of their journey. And so for me, um, you know, they were just great girls, all of them. They all were excited. They all, you know, just had such a positive attitude. They were doing two days. I think he had them doing, and they were still excited to get in the gym when I was there. So that just shows that, you know, they were all willing to go as far as they possibly could at the next level. And, you know, I actually got to see them a few times. I would sometimes go shoot at that high school all the time after. And so um, for me, it's just kind of still, still unbelievable to think about it. But just to know that, you know, they, they were going to do great things and they were putting in, more work than I've seen most middle schoolers, even me, put in, going into their, um, you know, seventh, eighth grade year. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to even think about every time I see the pictures of, you know, Gigi and Peyton and Alyssa and, um, you know, just 
all nine of the victims. I mean, the whole situation is so tragic. I, I think we're all pretty much still in shock about it all, but it definitely warmed my heart to see how much time that those young women had got to spend with people like you. So this team had shaped up to be pretty good, it sounds like, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were, they, I think they had, I think everyone saw, you know, their progress from one summer to the next where they lost by, 20 or something to a team and then ended up beating them by 40 the next summer. So they were going on a steep uphill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's incredible to watch. And I'm sure with the mama mentality, that helped a lot. Kaylee, we're going to let you go. I just wanted to ask you, you know, if there is any one memory or one thing you would want people to know about your time with Kobe. Um, obviously, what we feel and the loss we feel is nothing like what you're experiencing. I, I definitely feel loss of someone that I looked up to and someone that I, I feel like was going to have an amazing impact on the game of, of women's basketball. But is there anything about him or, or Gigi or Alyssa or Peyton that you would want to share? Yeah. I mean, all the girls really, they were just such sweethearts. So excited to get in the gym. So excited to just, you know, do whatever they need to do. And, um, for me, I think the biggest thing that stands out about Kobe himself was just him seeing him talk about Gigi and the way, you know, he and my dad actually had a long conversation just about being dad. They were just sharing stories. Um, my dad talking about me calling Bonnie and he was talking about Gigi and Natalia and all his, his little ones. And it was just amazing to just watch, like, the light in his eyes and how much, you know, he enjoyed doing what he was doing with her. And like you said, he was going to make a huge impact on women's basketball. So he was just getting started. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's interesting you say that because when the hashtag girl dad came out, I thought about your dad right away. I was yeah. like, your dad has got to be one of the biggest girl dads out there. I mean, the way he just yeah. supports you guys and champions, you're part of the game. I just love to see it. And, um, Glad that he did get to have that moment with Kobe. Well, Katie Lou, thank you so much. Excited about everything you're doing with USA Basketball and, and with the Chicago Sky next year. But um, we thank you so, so much for taking the time uh, to do this with us today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. We'll see you this summer. Thank you. Thanks. Second quarter, Coach's Corner. Well, when you look across the landscape of women's basketball, there are a lot of things that stand out. And one of those things is that the Pac-12 is dominant. They have got um, more of the prominent teams in college women's basketball right now. They came into the season with the favorite in Oregon. But when you look at the top 15 or so teams in the country, a lot of names you recognize, Baylor, South Carolina, uh, UConn, UCLA, Stanford, Louisville, Maryland, but there's one name that you may not be familiar with or may not recognize, and that is that of Arizona, that this week comes in at number 12 in the AP poll, but I had them at number five in my AP poll, so we'll have to talk a little like bit about that. I like AP poll way better. <laughs> but we are so excited to have with us, as you heard her voice, the head coach of Arizona, Adia Barnes. Welcome, Adia. Thank you for having me, Latina. We go oh, way back. No one knows we go way back. We do. And we're getting ready to get into that because I still remember. I don't even know what Final Four that was. But we were having a conversation. You were at Washington at the time. And you were liking coaching. And you were trying to, you know, contemplating the jump to being a head coach. I always knew that you were going to be a great head coach and that you 
could make the jump whenever you were ready. But I, I remember this conversation we had. And just looking at your career now, for fans that don't know, Adia's resume is ridiculous. I mean, she played at Arizona, so she's back at her alma mater. When she was there, she was all-conference three times and was the 1998 Pac-12 Player of the Year. Um, and was it the Pac-10 back then? Yeah, it was Pac-10. That's how old I am. That's how old I, <laughs> I didn't mean to call that out. But when I read that, I was like, hmm, that sounds a little suspicious. But then she went that on was like to... before you were born, probably. No, girl, me and you were right around the same time, honey. Don't worry. Uh, but then she was the fourth pick of the WNBA draft to the Sacramento Monarchs and went on to win a championship in 2004 with... Seattle, the Storm, the team that I yeah. really got to know you when you were with because you went on to broadcast with them. Um, but long story short, you've had a very decorated career and then went on to coach at Washington and then made that leap to becoming a head coach. Just talk to us a, a little about your journey from player in the WNBA to what am I going to do now to now being at Arizona? Well, at first, you know, if you would ask me when I was playing if I wanted to be head coach, I would have said no. I would have said, you know, I don't know. I love playing. I wasn't sure what coaching was about. You know, when you were a player for so many years, you really never did anything else. And then um, I remember, like, at the end of my playing career, I was still – so I had, like, the perfect life for a while because I was playing overseas in Europe. I was broadcasting in the summer. All my best friends were on the Seattle Storm. So in the summer, I traveled around with the Storm and did broadcasting with my friends. And then, like, in the winter, I played overseas. But I knew I was getting older. I kind of wanted to stop playing – and um, I wasn't that healthy anymore. And so I was like, what do I want to do? So I sat and said, I looked in the mirror, I was like, what are my passions? Like, what do I love? Well, I love mentoring. I love teaching. I love basketball. It's provided so many opportunities for me. So then I just said, well, you know, I, I liked broadcasting. I remember we used to have these conversations. I liked broadcasting, but I didn't love it because I felt like when I was broadcasting, I would go to games and I'd be asking coaches about if they like coaching. And I didn't feel like I could touch the players as much. And I didn't know if I could be a great broadcaster, so I wasn't as good as you, Latina. So I, um, you know, I just said, well, let me just, I'm going to try coaching. Well, at that time, Kevin McGuff got the job at Washington from, um, he was from Xavier. So he got the job. I heard some great things about him. And then he called me. Well, I knew at that time I didn't want to move out of Washington because I had lived out of a suitcase for 13 years as a pro player. (laughs) So I wanted to kind of, you know, my roots were there. I wanted to kind of stay in one place for a while. I had a foundation. I had you know, a lot of support with the storm and different things in the community. So then I went for the job. And I, I didn't even know what my salary was going to be. I didn't really care. I, he, he was going to allow me to still do broadcasting in the summer. So for me, it was like a perfect seg, segue into coaching. And I loved it. And I just, like, after that, I just kind of grew it. I was like, this is what I want to do. I didn't know if I wanted to be a head coach at the time, though. So that's kinda, so that, yeah, I remember you kind of struggling with that when we talked. So you, you went there with Kevin McGuff, well, to, to coach under mm-hmm. McGuff. And then he went to Ohio State. Mike Neighbors takes over. You guys go to the Final Four. You were on staff with one of my favorite people, which I have to say hello to Freddie Castro. Um, but it was yeah. yourself and Freddie and Morgan Valley on, on that staff. And you were instrumental, obviously, in player development. You worked with... Um, Kelsey Plum and everyone else on that team. What did that Final Four run do for you as far as your future aspirations or how you felt about your role in college basketball? Well, at the time, I, I knew I was influential like in just the build at Washington just for the type of players who recruited, like Chantel Osahar was a diamond in the rough. Yep. No one really – people knew she was good. They didn't know she was going to be great. She was 
like if I had a Chantel here in Arizona, we would be so good. Like I look for Chantel <laughs> yes. and I can't ever find her. I don't think I'll ever find her. Such a high basketball IQ. Such a great player, like dominant. Like I loved her. Kelsey Plum. You don't find Kelsey Plum. I continue to look for Kelsey Plum. Um, and just that combination, Katie Collier on that team. So I knew that was a great fit. No one thought we could have done it at Washington. It took a player like Kelsey and Chantel to say, hey, we're going to go here and build something great. So I knew that, like, you can kind of build anywhere. At the time, Arizona had been bad for a decade. Um, I remember being at Washington, everybody always joked, oh, you know, they they were happy to have Arizona on the schedule because that was going to be a win. So I kind of took those things personal as a you know, as a coach. Like, that's my alma mater. We were good. We were number seven in the country when I was there. So I remember thinking that, but I didn't know what this job entailed. I didn't know if there was support here. And I didn't know at the time I had a seven-month-old baby. At the time, he was like four months. Um, didn't know if I wanted to be a head coach then because it was just hard with the kid. Coaching is hard with the child. And so the job came about, and I got a call from Arizona, which I wasn't expecting. I wasn't applying for jobs, mm. um, asking about my level of interest. And so I, like, wanted to hear them out, but I wasn't sure if they supported women's basketball here. And so once I heard them out, Greg Byrne flew out to come meet me. And I, because I have, I'm really big on the support and who I work for mm. because I'll run through a wall for you and I'm loyal, but, like, you got to, believe in me and give me the resources to be great. And, and he did all those things. So I really loved him. And one, it's one of the reasons why I came here, not only because of my alma mater, because of him. And so when I heard his vision and what he thought, you know, I knew that it was my first head coaching job and it was going to be a challenge in the Pac-12. But I was, I was the only coach that went from assistant coach to my first head coaching job in the Pac-12. There was no other coach in our conference that did that. So it was kind of a, a leap of faith in believing in myself and believing what I could do here because I wasn't sure. A lot of people told me not to take this job. Mm, now that is tough. And what's interesting to me, first of all, let me just say, you know, you arrived there at in 2016, right? This is your fourth season? Yeah. And yeah. the year before you took over, Arizona was next to last in the conference, 3-15 and 15 in the Pac-12, 13-19 and 19 overall. A lot of people are faced with that decision of like, do you go back to your alma mater? Because there's there can be pressure there. There can just be a lot that you have to deal with that you wouldn't if you like went somewhere new. What was kind of the thing that ultimately said, yes, this is the job for me, for you? Well, I, I knew that I could recruit. I knew that I know basketball. I knew that I had connections all over the world to get players. Um, and so I think at the time, after hearing what the administration told me here and seeing the support I was going to have. A lot of people that are here were here when I was a player. So that was that family environment was really important to me. So I had immediate mentors. I mean, like five administrators that are mentors that could help me throughout the process. So I think with all those things, it it was comfortable and we had, we had beautiful facilities. So I thought we were good when I was here. There's no reason why we can't be. So then I, you know, was I, a little bit nervous. Yes, I was at first because a lot of, I'm telling you, Lynn Dunn, a lot of people that are close to me that I look up to as mentors, three or four of them told me not to take this job. It was one of the lowest in the country. I think my first year I was the lowest paid coach in all power five conference, but I didn't care about that. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a thought. It could have been half of that. I would have still taken the job because I believe I can do anything and I was going to do it here. So I, I, I didn't even care. I also knew I had to prove myself and that's what I've had to do my whole career. So I was, I stepped up to the challenge and I said, we're going to do it. And like, we just have done that. Like we're starting to do it the way it's supposed to be. I mean, it, not only are you doing it on the court, but you're doing it off the off the court. We'll get back to your crowd in a moment because I will tell you the the first time I really got to sit down, I watch a, a lot of games on Synergy. 
Uh, but since Cindy Brunson is obviously a good friend of mine and um, she was calling one of your games and I was like, it was actually against Arizona State at home. And she was like, oh, I'm calling this game this weekend. I was like, oh, OK, let me check it out. Blown away by the crowd. But we'll get to that in a moment. Let's talk about your team. Last year, you win the WNIT championship. I'll be honest with you, because there's so much going on in March, obviously the NCAA tournament going on for women and men is everything. Sometimes the NIT can kind of just fall out, out of your eyesight. For some reason, your run was so magical. And I think it had everything to do with how your crowd supported you, but also uh, just the growth and the confidence in your team. What did that success last year do for you as a program, as a team, and how has it springboarded you into the success you're having now? The success last year was a pivotal point in this program for a lot of reasons. Um, we were pretty close to making the tournament, but let's, probably a couple games. I think if we would have won at both Washington schools and won a couple other games, it would have been in a tournament, but it would not have been the best thing for us. The best thing for us was the NIT because we were able to play one month longer and we were, we were able to have play six, you know, do or die games and just gain a ton of experience and what we did in Tucson. So, I mean, we had 14,500 people for the final game Crazy. and it grew. It, it was like at 13, then it was like almost, you know, the 14, five, but it grew like every round, every game. And our, our administration, you know, put in money for us to host here. So all those things, it was mad. It was like a magical run. And the funny thing is the story behind it was that was the same team, not the same coaching staff, but the same team. Northwestern was a team that we beat when I was playing and we won the NIT. So it was kind of like the perfect story, and I came back, and then we went to NIT, all those things. So it gave us a lot of confidence. Um, It made the city excited again about women's basketball because for us at the time, the men hadn't had the best, you know, season. And so all those things, like the stars were all aligned to help us, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just because of the situation. And I think that for us, um, you know, we beat some good teams, and we, we beat better teams than us. But at that time, we were confident and we were determined to win the NIT. Yeah, I mean, it was something that definitely stood out. Everyone was like, okay, we need to be looking out for Arizona because they are legit. Now, you're just coming off of a huge win at Oregon State. No one wins at Oregon State, first of all. So um, that's huge in itself. But you have a National Player of the Year candidate in Ari McDonald, and for folks that have not seen this this young woman play, what has she meant to uh, your program and to this run you're on? So much. Um, you know, Ari is a player recruited at Washington. And just with the coaching changes, she obviously, um, you know, wanted to make a change. So as a player, you always go back to the coaches that recruited you before. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's what Ari did. Um, so she ends up here. I knew if she came here, we could do something special. Because at that time, the year she transferred and sat out, I had Ari sitting out, I had Dominic McBride sitting out, and I had T.T. Stark sitting out. And so it was funny that whole year, we were awful my second year. We had won six games. I mean, we were not a good team. We had some walk-ons on the team. It was it was just a lot of, you know, changes in the program. But every day at practice, we had this practice team that would just kill our regular team. I was like, what the heck? But I was optimistic knowing that they are going to play the next year. So, um, you know, but every coming here and wanting to do something special with me here, you know, we have a great relationship. I've known her since she was a sophomore in high school. And wanting to come here, do something special, put Arizona on the map with me was just incredible. Um, you know, she's been everything to this program. She's not only a great player, but she's a great kid. And she's improved every year. The year out was probably one of her best years. 
mm. because she got stronger. She worked on her shots. She worked on her ball, her handles, everything, and just became a totally different person and player. And then she's she's improved because if you saw her at Washington a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. she was a role player. She was in a very different role. Yeah. Um, you know, with Kelsey Plum, Chantel Osahar. So she did her thing, but it was different. But now she is like our Kelsey Plum here. She's called upon to put the team on her back, and she's done a tremendous job of it. So um, if I had to go to war with anyone, she'd be the first person I pick. Five six guard out of Brookside Christian High School. Now. She, I saw somewhere she's a junior, but she can come out. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, she could come out if she wants to. She's you know, transferred, so she's graduating. Right. So, but you don't want to talk about that part because I was going to ask you if you thought that she either would come out. Is she WNBA ready? Do you see her as a player that would impact the draft? You have WNBA knowledge. So just in case we have to reference this later, which we hope we don't. What are your thoughts? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, we can reference it. I don't, I don't, I don't mind. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of scouts watching her. I think that can she go out? Yes, she can. But I don't think it'd be smart at all to go out. I mean, we're a top 20 team. Mm-hmm. We're not really losing. We're going to be better next year. Um, and she can be one of the best point guards in the country. And, and she'll be the best in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. So like right now, there's Sabrina. There's a lot of really talented players. Mm-hmm. And I think that why go if you can, go, if you can stay in college over year, win all kinds of awards, be an All-American, be one of the best, if not the best, guard in the country. Yeah. Your stock would even be higher the next year. So it and, just, I just wouldn't be smart for her to leave. Yeah, and what do you see as her impact in the WNBA? Could she could she start? Would she be a backup? Would she be a one-two combo? Um, I think she'd be a backup. I, I don't think she's ready to start in the WNBA right now. Could she play and make a team? Yes, no doubt. But I think by her developing one more year, she has a better chance. I think there's a big difference in the league. If you're mm-hmm. a top six pick or you're a six through 14 pick yes. or six through 12 pick, I think there's a big difference in marketing. I think there's a big difference in the vision for you at the, the franchise you go to. I think there's a big difference. And for her, we're only going to get better. She's only going to get more accolades. She's only going to improve on her game. And we're not talking about life-changing money. We're talking about $68,000. Right. So I don't think it would be smart. I think it's smarter to raise your stock and be even higher to do exactly what Sabrina did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And I think Sabrina has definitely made the right decision. I mean, she's going to be easily the number one pick and she gets to go to New York. So that's not bad either. Um, So as far as what you have to do the rest of this year, you're in a great spot. Your team's playing with confidence. Pac-12 is tough, though. Um, What is kind of your team's niche in that league? Like, what is it that you're going to have to do or stick to? down the stretch of this regular season here to put yourself in position, not only in the Pac-12 tournament, which is brutal, but also to get um, the kind of seating and, and hold on to what you want in the NCAA tournament, which is obviously to host. Yeah, so for us, we have to win all the games we're supposed to. I think we've done a good job of, we'd be, you know, UCLA at home, which was ranked higher. I think at the time they were eight. We just beat number nine Oregon on the road. We've done, we've done a good job. I think we've won some good games. We beat Texas at Texas by significant points. Um, for us, I think that winning the games we're supposed to, you know, we can't just fall off and lose to teams we're not supposed to, and that's really hard in our conference. We host the Washingtons this weekend. Those are tough games. Um, those are two good teams that are going to upset people before the end of the year. And then we go to Utah and Colorado. It's always hard playing in the mountains, on the road. It's a really tough environment. It's long travel. It's not easy. And then we come back and we finish with Stanford and Cal. So I think winning the games we're supposed to and just finishing the season strong, but 
I think the work we did earlier in the season is going to really set us up for this next part because, you know, we're in a good place. We're feeling good. We're confident. I, I thought that our character of our team showed a lot after getting stomped on Friday by 30 yes. against Oregon and then coming back, playing with the same urgency that we should have played with against Oregon and reacting the way we did at Oregon State. I think yeah. that showed a lot to me about the character of my team. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, easily could have just gotten down and said, hey, you know, and it's overtime win. So it took some extra to pull that one out. Well, Dia, we appreciate uh, you coming on to share more about your team. Right now, the NCAA selection committee has you slated to host as a four seed. So you would host the first and second rounds. And at the time, they have you in the same region as Baylor um, in Dallas, which, you know, there's so much to still be decided. But if there's one more thing, Dia, that you would want to share with us about your program or your team, what would that be? That, um, you know, not only I'm, I'm happy that like, we've kind of achieved more than people would have thought, but this is a really great group of girls or of, of young women. Um, they're so dynamic in so many different ways. So, like a lot of people said, I couldn't do it here, but the first thing I focused on was the controllable things, and that was the culture, and that was how we are in the community. And what I love is to be able to come back to my alma mater and have this community excited about women's basketball again and to bring 10,000 people to a rival game and all those things, but our players have done that. They've worked hard in the community. They've worked hard in the classroom, and they've brought all this. So it's just awesome for me to see this and to see it, like, in in a, a couple of years. It's yeah. just been special at a place that people thought I couldn't do it. It's a fairy tale story. Back to your alma mater, one of the best teams in the country. I mean, you couldn't have written a better script, but congratulations to you just on how you've evolved through your career. It's not easy for WNBA players often to find their place in the world, and it seemed like the timing of everything that you were a part of from the Final Four you know, first of all, I'm jealous that you got to go to overseas and you're off-season broadcasting because I don't get to do that. But <laughs> coaching the Final Four, um, you know, and, and then landing back at the right place at the right time. Girl, you know I'm proud of you. I, I saw it in you Thank a long you. time ago, but I'm so proud, so happy. We would love to have you back on the show. Uh, hopefully, you know, sure. make a little Sweet 16 run, a little Final Four, you know. We'll definitely. Well, you, know, you, know what's, you know what's funny? So all the Pac-12 coaches have told me, like UCLA, Corey Close told me, and a couple others, they were like, you know, if you win the NIT, all the Pac-12 teams that won the NIT, they go to the Sweet 16. I was uh, like, oh, uh, no problem. <laughs> that's a tall order. we got to take one game at a time. So that's what's coming next. Oh, well, we will be watching, and congratulations on all your success. Thank you for joining us, Adia. Thank you. Third quarter, scouting report. All right, basketball fans. So Monday, February 10th, opened up our WNBA free agency. And if you missed it, I don't know what you were doing with your Monday. Social media was buzzing. News was everywhere. Trades, deals, everything. And at the forefront of that was a WNBA insider and owner of Go Global Recruiting, Rachel Galligan. And we've got Rachel on the show. We're super excited about it. So, hey, Rachel, thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. I'm happy to be here today. We're definitely happy to have you. And it's so funny because when you think about the NBA and when it comes time to trade deadline and when it comes time to NBA free agency, the first person everyone looks to is Woj because he's the guy who's going to drop all of the bombs. He's the person that's going to have all the updates and the breaking news on what's going on. But for us in the W, 
it's you. We look to rage bombs. That's what we want. Like rage we, bombs. <laughs> rage bombs is what we look for to know what's going on. And there were a few of them dropped yesterday. Um, so thank you for keeping us informed. But obviously to, to get this deep, this far along in WNBA and in women's basketball, it had to begin somewhere. So take us all the way back and tell us how you got into women's basketball. Yeah, and I think this is something that so many people don't don't really know about me. No one really understands where I came from or what all I've done because I've worn so many hats. So I, I appreciate you asking the question. Um, I, I played college basketball. Um, I played at Eastern Illinois when I was able to go on and play professionally after that over in Spain. And uh, right after my short professional career, um, I jumped right into the college game at a really young age. I was fortunate enough to be coaching college basketball at 21 years old, which is, is crazy um, to, to hear of. And I coached at my alma mater for um, a few years before I headed over to the MAC, um, which is my huge love for mid-major conferences. Um, if anybody who follows me, I'm always a heavy pusher of uh, mid-majors. Uh, so I, co- I coached the college game for eight years. Um, and then after that, I, I really was um, so involved in the recruiting aspect. You know, the, re- the recruiting is everything. Anyone you talk to in the, in the college game um, recruiting is the lifeline of everything. And uh, I really built my name and, and had a deep passion for the international world. And I wanted to start my own business um, and provide a, a resource for the universities to recruit internationally at a higher level. And those girls in different countries don't have a ton of uh, resources that they can go to. They don't really have a lot of um, knowledge on what does it mean to come to the States? What does it mean to be educated and, and, and to get a scholarship and to come play over here? So I started Go Global Recruiting a little over two years ago, and and that's been fantastic. But along with that, as you guys know, I'm very involved in the media world, which I never envisioned myself doing, Um, working as a journalist and and covering games, you know, as a color analyst. And then also now I'm breaking news, which um, I think I'm able to do because I do have so many hats and I've been so involved in this game on a lot of different levels for a lot of different years. So my connections are uh, just, just really deep, and that's how I'm able to do all of this. Which part do you really enjoy the most, Rachel? And then do you ever feel like you have, like, conflicts with your, you know, obviously with the recruiting side and the journalist side, like, because you're wearing so many different hats? I know sometimes it's something that we, you know, run into as journalists. Like, do you ever, first of all, which one do you enjoy? And then second of all, do you ever feel any conflict with all of those hats? Well, I, 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 I enjoy all of it. You know, there's days where I miss coaching. There's days where I wonder, will I get back into college coaching? Mm-hmm. Um, I miss being a part of a team and, and competing at the highest levels. Uh, but I think for me, recruiting has always been my biggest passion, um, being able to build relationships with young women all over the world and, and help provide opportunities for them was my biggest dream um, to be able to be a resource to them. And everything that I had grown as an assistant coach um, to understand and to know um, from my head coach at the time, Brady Sally, who, who really taught me everything I knew about it, um, that his, well, that was always my biggest dream, was to start my own business and to help these players. So that, that, that was my biggest goal. Uh, but it's hard for me to sit here and say, you know, what do I really enjoy the most? Because it's not designed to be the only thing I do. You know, I really mm-hmm. saw myself um, wearing a lot of different hats. I saw myself being involved in a lot of different things. Um, at the core of my my being, um, my biggest passion is women's basketball, and it has been that way since I was a little girl. Um, I know that sounds cheesy, but it's given me every uh, beautiful and wonderful thing that has come into my life. So 
Um, it truly is my passion and my love. And so if, if I'm one day focusing on the WNBA and then later that afternoon I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on college and then maybe the next morning at 3 a.m. I'm talking to some girls over from Europe, my days just kind of compartmentalize in a certain way. Um, and it works for me, and, I, and I'm enjoying it. it, it n- no day is ever the same, um, and there's always something crazy being thrown at me. And honestly, I, I don't run into a ton of conflicts. Um, I, I think I do a really good job, like I said, that compartmentalization of um, the different different avenues, you know, that, that I'm working in. I try to always be extremely professional with that, and um, everyone that I work with uh, does a great job with it as well. So I, it's actually not an issue for me, but um, I think the, the, the best part of it is I have so much fun in every single thing that I do. Well, it's clear. Well, first of all, I love your professionalism and it's clear that you are so respected and so trusted with the information that people give you to to make these announcements about free agency and other things. And one of the things I loved was on Twitter. I saw that there was some back and forth about Odyssey Sims and, you know, you broke the news. She wouldn't be playing this year. People all of a sudden, everyone's like, no, that's not true. She will be playing and, and tried to discredit you. And then it comes out that she actually isn't playing because she's pregnant. But that is something that you did not feel like was appropriate for you to share. And I have total, total respect for that decision. What was it like for you to kind of go from taking a little black backlash to um, ultimately, you know, you were redeemed in all of it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going not, not to sit here and say that, that that whole thing has been easy for me. It hasn't. You know, I it, we're human beings, you know, when we, we want to make, people happy, you know, but I also understand that the position that I'm in and things that I'm doing, we're pushing an envelope that hasn't quite been pushed yet. Um, We're seeing things happening from a new standpoint that we haven't had to deal with on the women's side before yet. Um, And it's extremely uncomfortable for people at times. But but in this instance with Odyssey Sims, I was absolutely in no way, shape, or form comfortable breaking that. That, That's not my place. Um, I... I was not going to do that. I refused to do that. Um, and if and if it meant that my reporting, um, I had multiple sources very close to the situation who had told me um, that that she would was unlikely to play was the exact word wording that I used. Um, I was told that uh, I was comfortable with my reporting. I was not comfortable taking it down, um, and I, I wasn't going to go further than that. And so I, I understand the position I'm in is going to get some backlash. I understand that there can be conflicting reports. I think with me, it's uncomfortable because. Um, you know, like you said, I want to make people happy. I don't want people to hate me. I don't want to burn bridges or anything like that. But I, I, I am trying to do my part in growing this game. And I, I really um, did not want to out her in that way. I, I refused to do that, even if it made um, my reporting or tarnished my name in any way. I would rather have that than to um, have done that to Odyssey. Definitely the right decision. So let's get into free agency. Um, so I'm curious what team you think has made the biggest splash. Angel McCautry has signed with Vegas. Just a recap for our fans that are listening. Angel McCautry is headed to Vegas. Kalani Brown is headed to Atlanta in a trade for Marie Gulich and Brittany Sykes, which are going from Atlanta to LA. Christy Tolliver, who's a free agent, goes from DC after winning a championship to LA. Um, Dewana Bonner just today announced that um, she was acquired via trade from Phoenix to Connecticut, which is crazy. A um, couple other things coming through. Elena Deladon, we already knew, was going to sign back from Washington. What teams, in your opinion, have made the, the biggest splash? You know, b- before today, I would have said L.A. I really think that the, the signing of Tolliver 
was huge. Um, I think they, they answered a lot of questions they had within their roster, especially, you know, we talk about Brittany Sykes and the, um, the trade with Atlanta. I, I was really impressed with L.A. and what they did. But then <laughs> early this morning, everything happened with the Connecticut Sun and Dewana Bonner. And, and I am just the biggest Dewana Bonner fan. And I'm honestly a very big Kurt Miller fan. Um, and I, I think the Connecticut Sun are just a, such a dynamic team. And what he has built there has been so fun to watch these last few years. And we talk about how close they were to getting a championship last year falling short to Washington, like, like you, you can't help but look and think, my God, like Dewana Bonner on the Connecticut Sun, is this that missing piece? Now, what, what, what's to be questioned is how is the rest of this going to shake out? We still don't know what's going to happen with Courtney Williams. We still don't know what could happen with Shakina Strickland. We can speculate, but um, those are things that I can tell you are, are there could be some big-time news with those um, two names right there. And I, that's a little tidbit I'll give you, but if he's able to retain Williams in my mind, they're my favorite. Uh, um, so as of today, as of uh, <laughs> the, the time that we're on this show, I really feel like Connecticut's made the biggest splash. Yeah, there's a lot of... Tarika, we know you like Connecticut. Sorry. Don't come through Sorry. with that applause, okay? Sorry. We know how you feel about the Connecticut Sun. Um, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, that splash with Dewana Bonner is incredible. And we've just had a, a broader conversation. My opinion, and I would be interested to get your thoughts, we didn't know how the new CBA would impact all of this, right? And it seems as though, to me, the division between the haves and the have-nots all of a sudden starts to grow because we have the potential for several super teams. And when I say super teams, I mean teams that have four, um, three or four like major players. Like you think about Vegas now with, with Angel. I mean, they're loaded. Uh, Seattle getting Stewie and Sue back and they've got Jewel and Natasha Howard. They've got four. I mean, after you look at what Howard did last year, now with NECA Candace, um, I mean, you could throw Cheney in there, Chelsea and Tolliver. I mean, that is ridiculous. Connecticut has got, you know, it, it seems like the division is growing. And mm-hmm. when you consider a team like Dallas, who's getting ready to lose Skyler, we're hearing she may go to Phoenix. That's WMB. I saw that on women's basketball 24-7 or something. I want to give them their credit. I, I can't remember the exact name. But, um, you know, here she's going to, to Phoenix or may go there. That team now. But everyone else, like the Dallases, and, and Chicago, I would say, is still up there. But is Chicago sure. as strong now with this, these later developments? But what happens to an Atlanta? What happens to an Indiana? Like, it just see, and even what happens to Washington? Because to be honest, I'm thinking to myself, I, I'm hoping for Mike Tebow's sake, that they sign Skyler, you know, and that just hasn't been announced or they get another. I mean, they have to replace an all-star. Um, and right. yeah, you can get a Leilani Mitchell, who I love. You can get a lot of different players, but is, are you going to get a Christy Tolliver back? You know, so now what does that do to Washington? What, what, have been, what has been kind of your overall observation? I think those are all really good points. Um, I, To be honest, my head is spinning so much. That I know, so right? And you, and you know a lot really, of stuff too, so... <laughs> Time to kind of digest it all. Really, it's uh, it, it's it's crazy, and I we didn't have a ton of time from when the new CBA even came out. So I'm talking about from that from when that was announced. Right now, here we are in free agency. It's like yeah. this whirlwind that we're in. But I think you're really on to that. I I, I really kind of see a division. Um, mm-hmm. I, I you you do you see some super teams. You see a lot more movement. We've never seen two days a free agency ever look like this in the history of the WNBA. I mean, yep. do, do you guys remember? No, no, no. 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 
I mean, we, we were lucky to maybe have one trade take place take place in free agency, and now we're sitting here talking. And I mean, I can I can name four that are going on right now. They're on the phone yep. talking about it. Wow. So this is just kind of a game changer. It's hard to really sit back and say like, what is the lasting impact in this? But I like your point about kind of some super teams where we're seeing more fluid movement. I mean, I can't help but look at the Las Vegas Aces roster and just be like, are you serious? Are you kidding like, me? How, <laughs> I know. How is this even possible? I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like I'm playing a video game right now. I know. know. I know. It's just unbelievable. And I'm excited to see how it all shakes out because there's still so much to be decided. Um, but my last question for you, Rachel, because I have to put you on the spot. We don't know where Skylar Diggins is, is landing, so we can't use that in this whole mix. But based on what you know right now about the rosters, who's your favorite to win it all? Oh, my favorite to win it all as of right now. Um, yep, as of right now. I'm going to go with the Connecticut Sun right now. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think DeWanna Bonner is that X factor. If they can retain Courtney Williams, that, that, that's an asterisk. There's an yeah. asterisk. There's my, yes. little, my question mark for you, but that, right. that's my, uh, they're my favorite right now. Yeah, me too. I'm with you. I'm, a, I'm on the Connecticut Sun train. If things continue the way they are, I mean, you got to think about it like this. If we start where the year ended last year, it was with Washington and Connecticut in the final. And we yeah. know that Washington is right now not going to be the same. Uh, we don't know about teams like Seattle and how they will come back, you know, from two injured players. I mean, there's a lot of question marks. Um, everybody right. could get better from a player development standpoint, no doubt. L.A. is always a you just don't know because we don't we still don't know a lot about Derek Fisher, to be honest. He's probably the biggest question mark. I don't know if it's their roster as much as it is him as a coach. Great guy. Well, but and that's, we talk about the, the, the GM perspective, too. Yes, you know, that's, that's yes. A question mark, too. Yes, which they've done a great job with whoever this, if it's <laughs> yeah. Michael Fisher, I don't know, but whoever it is. But I, I'm with you. I think Connecticut's a favorite. Tariqa, go ahead, weigh in, because I'm just going to give you your moment. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm gonna let my team speak for themselves this year. Oh um, God! Moment, just a you know, just a, a full transparency. I was driving to work this morning and I was talking to La China and she said, uh, I, "I don't even remember what she was talking about." But yeah, she blacked out after I, I said. She said, "Oh, Dewana Bonner is going to Connecticut." Yeah, was, she heard nothing after that. Nothing else. I was like, okay, just print our championship gear now. Thank yeah. You. So hey, we'll have to deal. I'll go. have to deal with her. Well, Rachel, we will let you go. Um, but we just want to give fans an idea of where they can find you, where they can get these rage bombs. How can they support you? So let us know uh, where we can follow you. You guys can find me on Twitter, just at RageGal, R-A-C-H-G-A-L-L. All right. There it is. Follow Rachel Galligan for all the big news in WNBA free agency. Rachel, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your story. We appreciate all your hard work, your integrity. And uh, we will hopefully we might be bringing you back on here, depending on what happens in these next few days. <laughs> hey, just give me a call. I'm here whenever. All right. Sounds wonderful. Thanks, Rachel. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. We always ask you guys to send us messages, emails, all types of things that we want to to know how you guys are feeling about our show, about the segments, about our guests, about what Around the Rim means to you. And this particular fourth quarter, I want to highlight a couple of emails that we've received. Now, here's the secret, guys. Nine times out of ten, I am the person who is going to respond to the emails. And sometimes... See how she just did me? Go ahead. 
Sometimes I don't always immediately tell LaChina that we have an awesome email. And so for that, I want to apologize because I see people come at LaChina on Twitter like she's just not, you know, doing her job with responding back to fans. And I want y'all to get off my girl. It's not her. It's me. So it's me. I'm so sorry that I didn't let her know about these awesome emails in time for her to respond to you. So please don't, don't, don't do her like that anymore. It's me. I'm taking the grunt for that. See, LaChina, I'm having you back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Appreciate it. Get out of my mentions. <laughs> but our first email comes from Robert Cavell and he says, Hi, I hope you all are doing well. I just wanted to thank you for the wonderful work on the Around the Rim podcast that you guys do. Much of my life has been around women's basketball. And currently, I am a player development coach for our women's team for a basketball club that friends and I started last year here in London. We are international, y'all. I wanted to say how valuable I find your reporting and discussion. So many of the podcasts I listen to across basketball are not the narrative of the women's game that I love so much. Your discussion around former players going to the NBA rather than the WNBA, the LA Sparks issue, Michelle Roberts comments, like really things that bring so much value to our game and our wider social context. I really wanted to again say thank you guys for such a great output and I wanted you to know that you're gratefully received across the pond. Best always, Robert. Oh, thank you, Robert. We appreciate that support. Absolutely. And Tarika's fault, we did get back to you. Next. I'm only going to take this one time. (laughs) This also is from Kara Newhouse. Kara says, Hi, LaChina and Tarika. First of all, I love Around the Rim podcast. Thank you for both of the work that you've put into it. And I also enjoy the addition of Devro Peters during the WNBA season. Her perspective as a former player is awesome. I remember the discussion you guys had around former players becoming coaches. Regarding the discussion you had between Teresa Weatherspoon's new role as an assistant coach in the NBA, LaChina, you said don't at me about your disappointment when smart, talented women go to the men's game. But I'm not here to criticize you. I was glad to hear someone with the similar reaction to mine. Like you, on an individual level, if that's what Teaspoon wants to do, I'm all for it. But on a broader level, I wish it weren't seen as a step up to work in the men's game as opposed to the women's. I want to see great coaches in the WNBA at all levels of women's and girls basketball and I want more of them to be women of color I'm a great admirer of Pat Summit I've always appreciated the fact that she could have taken a job coaching Tennessee's men team but dedicated her life to building women's sport and developing women athletes all this is to say thank you for your honesty for voicing a perspective that at least one listener and women's basketball fan shares have a great weekend and go Mystics WNBA champions Oh, well, thank you so much for those comments. We try to, you know, we don't always get good emails. I'm going to challenge Tarika to, to get a couple. Do we get thrashed? Oh, yeah. Uh, but we, we do love the comments and, and all the correspondence, the tweets. We don't always get to get back to everyone. But thank you guys so much for interacting with us. And we're actually working on a way that you'll be able to interact with this podcast a little bit more. So stay tuned for that. Um, I also wanted to mention, Tarika, before I let you finish up with some of your fourth quarter announcements, we have a big game on Thursday. And it's huge because it could have major implications in seedings, major implications in particular in the ACC. If you've been somewhere under a rock, the Louisville Cardinals have hit a tough stretch. Mm -hmm. Last week, they lost to Florida State. 
And then they also lost to Syracuse. So right now, Charlie Cream has Louisville as a three seed, a three seed now. Crazy how life can change. And this Thursday, life doesn't get any easier for the Cards because at 8 p.m., they have to visit NC State, which is right now the number four team in the country. And that is huge for the Wolfpack. That number four ranking is their highest since being ranked at number three for two weeks in 2000. I'm sure that's when Summer, Summer Herb played because that's when I was in college. And Summer Herb, Elisa Kinane, their center now, is like Summer Herb, like the nicest person but will, like, destroy you. Uh, but Wes Moore has done a fantastic job with his team. They have depth. And they're going to look to knock Louisville down another notch. And with that... Charlie Cream, I'm looking at his latest predictions for NC State. That's right. They are a number one seed right now in going to Fort Wayne is what they expect. So don't forget about that on Thursday at 8 o'clock. What else, Tarika? Well, we have a really, really big announcement that um, women's basketball fans are really going to love and enjoy and appreciate. Yeah, we're a little late with sharing this, but it's still big news for us. It is huge news. So it originally came out in January, the last week of January, as a matter of fact. But as you know, ESPN is the home of the NCAA Tournament for Women and uh, this year, the Division One Women's Basketball Championships, the semifinals will actually be shown on our main ESPN channel. And our first and second rounds will be available nationally. So no more you have to be in a certain region in order to see certain games. It is going to be available nationally. We are showing our commitment to investing in the game and growing the women's game here at ESPN. I'm very proud of this decision. I'm very happy about this decision. And I know that I know that you are as well huge huge for everyone that tweets all of us during the tournament saying why is my game not showing why do I have to watch this matchup between these teams why is this regionalized why is this blowout don't worry about that anymore Carol Stiff and company at the ESP at ESPN have fixed it you will get to see your team on some platform of ESPN live and on your television screen. That's major. But stay tuned, though, because in March, that's when a lot of the specifics are going to be detailed. So come March, we'll have more for you. Tarika said I need to calm down. (laughs) Um, But that is wonderful news. Uh, What else, Tarika? Um, I think that's it. That's all I got. One thing we didn't get to talk about, but we will next week because I feel like I need some more time to digest it. There was a big issue that happened with concerning Gail King, Lisa Leslie, um, in an interview that happened between them um, about Kobe Bryant. And I'm still working through my thoughts on it. But if you've heard about what happened, um, feel free to email us at around the rim podcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at around the rim pod. I am at LaChina Robinson on Twitter and Tarika is at SheKnowsSports underscore. So if you have any thoughts on that or anything else, hit us up. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.